when we, amen. When we last gathered, we learned from the book of Acts or the book of Matthew chapter 28 and from the book of Acts chapter 2 that the church is built on the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ is the foundation of the church. It is uh, Christ that the church is built upon. Christ is the one who founded the church. Christ is the one who commissioned the church to be all that we are. Who we are is based upon what Christ has commanded us to be. That's important. Who we are and what we do is based upon everything that Christ has created us to be and commanded us to do. Brothers and sisters, we are nothing more and nothing less than what Christ has built us to be and commanded us to do. We learn that the love of Christ is the foundation of the church. Ephesians 5 tells us that Christ so loved the church that he laid down his life for her. We ask the question, who are those whom Christ has loved? How can we identify those whom Christ has loved? Many people would love to say, Jesus loves me. And oftentimes when we uh, share the gospel with people, we, I think, incorrectly begin with Jesus loves you. Well, who are those whom Christ has loved? There are evidences that one displays that shows that they are one that Christ has loved. First, they are those who profess faith in Christ. If you do not profess faith in Christ, then you do not belong to Christ. Secondly, they are those who are presently putting sin to death. Not perfectly. Not entirely. Not completely. We are still living in a sin-sick, fallen world. We will wrestle against sin, but we are wrestling against sin. Those who are not wrestling against sin, but dancing with sin, do not belong to Christ. Thirdly, those who have been baptized. If you belong to Christ, you identify yourself with Christ in the waters of baptism. You identify yourself with his life, his death, and his resurrection in the waters of baptism. If you and I will not do so, then we do not belong to Christ. We have no part in him. And fourthly, there are those who regularly, that's an important word, regularly fellowship with the Lord at his table. If we forsake the Lord's table, if we forsake the thing that God Christ has commissioned his church to enjoy while we are here until his return, then we must ask ourselves, what part of Christ do we really partake in if we forsake his table? For when we come to the Lord's table, we partake in the body. We partake in the blood. We show that we fellowship with Christ and that we are one with his church. If we are not doing any of those things, we must ask ourselves, those who say Christ loves me, does he really love me? And also, do I really love him? Finally, we learn that the church is founded on the liberty that the Lord Jesus Christ has given us through his commands for his church. We said that's kind of a weird, uh, it could appear to be oxymoron, contradiction, command and liberty. We have liberty in Christ and in his commands. We are free to obey his commands because we are doing all the things that he's created us to do. Therefore, we have liberty. We are doing nothing more than he's told us to do. Nothing less than what he's told us to do. Therefore, we are free to enjoy 
all that he's commanded us to do. All that we do is because of what Christ has commanded us to do. All that we are is because this is what Christ has created us to be. He is the head. We are the body. I do not decide what this church shall be. You do not decide what this church shall be. The government will not decide what this church shall be, and neither shall the Pope. Why? Because Christ is our head. Christ determines what we are and who, who and what we shall be. Christ does those things. Therefore, we are free in Christ to be all that he wants us, called us, commanded us to be. We have liberty in Christ. We are freed from the dictates of others because others are not our head. Christ is our head. And we can rejoice in all that Christ has commanded for his church because the commands for Christ's church are a joy for the church. They are his gift to the church. We, We should ask the question, but aren't they commands? And doesn't the word command carry with it some kind of, of burden of weight? No. Commands do not carry burdens of weight. Why? Because Christ said so. Christ said his what? Yoke is easy and his burden is light. It's not heavy. Why? Because Christ has carried it. Not you, not me. Christ has carried the burden for us who trust in him. Are they commands? Yes. But they're meant for our joy, not for our displeasure. When we come to a Lord's Day evening service because we believe that God commands it, we should not come in with frowns. We should come in with joy. We are enjoying that which Christ has commanded and given to his church, listen, as a gift. His commands are not burdensome. They're gifts. They are meant to combat remaining sin. Do you like your sin? I don't. I wish it was removed from me. Christ has provided a, a place where sin can be exposed. Suppose he's provided his word where sin can be exposed. And as we obey, uh, see and obey, repent, see and obey, right? See, repent and obey. We ask him to remove those things from us or at least to help us to wrestle with him. And when we see that we are conquering sin by the spirit of God and through obedience to his word, is there not great joy? Is there not my, look at me, I was blind, but now I see. Isn't there great joy there? His commands are for our joy, not for our pain. They are meant to remove selfishness. They are meant to to help us to grow. They are meant for the bride to be purified. They are for our freedom and liberty. They're meant for our good and for our joy. The church is built upon the love and liberty of Christ. And now tonight, <clears throat> with the Lord's help, we're continuing this theme of what is the church. So this can be part two. And tonight we'll be con- we will be considering the command for, listen to this, a defined formal membership in the local church. We will be considering the command for a defined formal membership in the local church. And we shall do so this morning or this evening. If I say morning... It's because I'm used to preaching in the morning, so forgive me. Uh, We shall do so this evening with four points. Number one, the number who were baptized. The number who were baptized. Let's go to the book of Acts chapter 2. 
the number who were baptized. Acts chapter 2. We will be reading verses 42 and 40 through 47. Bless you. Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. They were, that is, those who were saved after Peter's sermon. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teachings and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all, as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all people. And here's the final And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, many of your backgrounds might be like mine. I did not come from a church background where there was a defined formal church membership. In my church background, if you attended attended a specific church for any length of time, you were a member of that church. If you came and attended, you're a member. It was just that easy. And just as easy as it was for you to become a member just by attending and showing up, you could also not become a member, remove yourself from membership by no longer attending. It was that easy. Sometimes people noticed that you were gone. Sometimes people did not notice whatsoever that you were gone. Because many of us come from that kind of background, just by a show of hands, how many of you do come from that background? Oh, praise God, I'm not speaking to foreigners then. Because we all then come from that kind of background, the practice of informal membership in our own minds became the norm. It became normal that if you go to church, then you're a member of that church. If you leave the church, you're no longer a member. It it became the norm. Therefore, when we were introduced to a formal, defined church membership, many of us, I think, initially were turned off to the idea uh, simply because it clashed with our traditions. It was completely foreign in terms of our tradition. We asked questions like, well, where's the command the explicit command in Scripture to become a member of a local church. Where's the command? I don't see the command. Some have even attempted to argue that that they're already a part of the church. I am a part of the church. I don't need to become a member of the church. I am a part of the church. You've heard that before? Without formally committing to one specific local body and coming under the care of the elders there. They argue that formal membership is unbiblical, legalistic, and therefore unnecessary. But I believe that as we examine the scriptures and not our experience, we will find that God's word clearly teaches a command for a defined, formal church membership. Now, we're asking the question, what is the church, right? Now we must ask this. 
Is there an explicit command in the scriptures to become a member of a church? Is there an explicit command in the scriptures, thou must become a member of a church? The answer is no. No, there is not. Not explicit. You must become a member of a church. So then, how do we make a case for such a command? We're saying there is a command for a defined formal church membership. We must ask the question, then where is it? If you say there's a command there, then where is it? And the way that we arrive at the answer is this. Our theology, the things that we believe, and the things that we practice, are expressly set down for us in the Scriptures. And they are also necessarily contained within the Scriptures. Let me explain what that means. In other words, when the Scriptures teach a command, or teach a doctrine, most times the scriptures are giving us pieces to those commands or to those doctrines that when you add them all together, they sum up a specific doctrine or they sum up a specific command. One of the most common examples of what I'm saying is the biblical doctrine of the Trinity. Raise your hand if you believe in the Trinity. Well, where in the world do you see the word Trinity in the Bible? Now, you may say, well, I I don't. Well, then how do you make a case for believing in a doctrine of a triune God, a three in one, one in three? How do you make a case for it? Well, let's be very practical and clear. We know we don't find the word there. And yet the scriptures, they teach that there is one God. And here's what the scriptures do. They teach that the Father is God. The Son is God and that the Holy Spirit is God. And when we add all these things up, it's a theology that teaches that there is a triune God, but one. And we confess that to be true. Even though we don't find the exact word Trinity, we we have summed up. This is what the Bible is teaching about our triune God, right? Another example is the doctrine and practice of the Lord's Day. We find multiple places in the New Testament that teach the Lord's Day is the Christian Sabbath and that our lives ought to be lived practically in light of that biblical doctrine. I'm not going to go through the whole thing. We did six or seven sermons on that uh, on that specific doctrine. Go back and listen to those. And it makes we make the case that this is the Lord's Day Sabbath, the new Christian Sabbath. And how do we do that? We did that by gathering all of the data from the scriptures, all the things that the scriptures teach and say, this is what the Bible is actually laying out before us. Brothers and sisters, this is also true. This principle that we're talking about is also true for church membership. Again, consider Acts chapter 2 and verse 47. The apostle Peter has just preached the first sermon at Pentecost after the commission of Christ. And the ascension of Christ. In Matthew chapter 28, the Lord Jesus has commanded his disciples to preach the gospel. Make disciples. Baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. And teach new believers all that the disciples have been taught. And what do we see in the book of Acts chapter 2? The very thing that Christ has commanded is happening. The gospel has gone forward. 3,000 souls, about 3,000 souls were added. That is that number again, added to to what to what 
In Acts chapter 2, the Bible says that there was about 3,000 souls added to. To what? Well, in Acts 2.47, the Bible describes it as a number. 3,000 souls are added to a number. Well, a number of what? A number of those who are being saved, those who are repenting, placing their faith in Christ. Listen to this. Making public declarations of faith in the waters of baptism. Because what did Peter say? Repent. Place your faith in Christ and then do what? Be baptized. Isn't that what Christ told his disciples to tell people to do? Right? Preach the gospel. Baptize them and then teach them. So those who are being added are that number that have been predestined by God, for love by God. They are those whom Christ has loved before the foundation of the world. Those who have been given ears to hear. Sheep who know their shepherd's voice and they are responding in repentance and faith. Now we've already learned that the church is those whom Christ has loved. We learned this last week, right? Those whom he has died for. We asked the question, how do we know who they are? Do you remember the answer? Those who place their faith in him. Those who are putting sin to death. Those who are identifying themselves with Christ's life, death, resurrection in the waters of baptism. And then those who are coming to the Lord's table. Brothers and sisters, what number were these people being added to? We say believers. Yes, they're being added to believers. And what are believers referred to? The church. The scripture uses the word number in reference to the command for those who trust in Christ and who formally, definitively are added to the church and more specifically to a local gathering. They will unite with a specific people who recognize them as being true confessors of faith. How do they recognize them as being true confessors of faith? What have they done? Well, they publicly have confessed their faith in Christ or they have uh, privately maybe confessed their faith in Christ. They are seeking to put sin to death. Then they have publicly confessed their faith in Christ by doing what? Coming to be baptized. And then what do they do? Together with one body, they unite at the Lord's table and celebrate his death and resurrection and continue to do so until he comes. What was the way that these believers were first uh, added to the church? Yes, by faith. He calls them to repent of their sins, to trust in Christ. But what do they do publicly to show I've done that? They are baptized. And once they are baptized, those who have been baptized say, you're one of us. You're going in the same direction as us. The starting point, brothers and sisters, if you're taking notes, The starting point of formal church membership is baptism. The starting point for a formal church membership is baptism. Why do we say that? Because we can confess, we can have faith, but when we publicly confess Christ and identify ourselves with Him in the waters of baptism, with His life, death, resurrection, and with His church then the church recognizes us as one of them. 
they say, you are one of us, join us. Individuals do not baptize themselves. You can't go home to your bathtub and say, I'm going to do this myself. As much as I love my son, he won't, he will not be baptized by me if he does profess, if his faith does mature as it is maturing and he is ready for baptism one day. I will not baptize him in our tub, just the two of us. Because it is the church who baptizes individuals into the church. And when it does so, it adds that individual to the number, the local church. To the number of those who are recognized as being members of Christ's church. They who are baptized are saying publicly, by faith, I trust in Christ. Let me please come to the waters of baptism. And when they do, the church receives them as one of the number. Therefore, they are confessing, again, that they are one of the ones for whom Christ has died. The church recognizes that confession through public confession in the waters of baptism. Did you guys know that the church chooses whom it will baptize? There is a process here. If you're going to be baptized, you first need to be approved Uh, affirmed by the members of this church. If you are not making a proper confession, the church has the keys of the kingdom and they can either accept or reject your confession as either being a true confession or a false confession. For those who come and say, I believe that there is at least something that I can do to add to my salvation. The church should say, no, no, no. There is nothing you can do to earn or merit salvation. Therefore, you are not welcome to the waters of baptism. But for those who say, I repent of my sins. I trust only in Christ. There is nothing that I can do to save myself. I place myself at the mercy of Christ and his cross. We say to you, come to the waters of baptism. You are making a true confession. You're one of us. They are added to that group. And what do baptized persons do? They persevere. And, and, And also, they In the book of Acts, they dedicated themselves to the apostles' teachings. If you are one of the church and have been baptized, listen to this. If you're one of the church and you've been baptized, here's the things that accompany that. You you dedicate yourselves to to the teachings of the apostles. That means when the elders of the church are teaching, you are there. You are learning. You are growing. You are dedicating yourselves to study. Listen to also what baptized individuals who are accepted into the church, what they do. They continue in prayer. They break bread with the church, but they also, that's communion that they are breaking bread at. They they gather when there is a gathering. They don't say, as was prayed this or was said a minute ago, they don't say, Lord's Day, gather with the saints or gather with my mom. Gather with my father. Find Easter eggs. Watch the Super Bowl or the NBA Finals. They say it's the Lord's Day. They are committed to Christ above all. Now that may sound for some legalistic. I think it sounds liberating. We'll get to that in a moment. I think it sounds liberating. They praise God. And as they do, more are added to that number. 
You see that? So there's a repentance. There's repentance and faith. There's a putting sin to death. There's a baptism. There's a joining at the Lord's Supper. But there's other things that are accompanied by those who have been baptized. It's not just, look at me, I've been baptized. And sometimes, uh, I think at least in my tradition, uh, someone would say, I just need to get baptized and everything's going to be okay. If I can get to church, get baptized, all my sins are going to be washed away. Brothers and sisters, uh, waters of baptism do not wash your sins away. Faith in Christ does that. There is no water that can wash away our sins. It is the blood of Christ that washes away our sins. It's not water that washes away our sins. It's blood that washes away our sins. Later in the book of Acts, chapter 6 and verse 2 through 7, we see another reference to this word number in relationship to the number gathering for a specific purpose. The church was gathered. The number gathers. And guess what they do when they gather? This number is gathered. Eh, let me go to it. It's, we're just a few pages over. Acts chapter 6 and verse 2 through 7. So the twelve <clears throat> summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, It is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit of wisdom and of wisdom, whom we, who we, we may put in charge of this task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. The statement found approval with the whole, what? Congregation. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochius, something like that, uh, Nicanor, Timnah, Nan, uh, Farminius, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. And listen to what, this, what the Bible says. And these they brought before the apostles, and after praying, they laid hands on them. The word of God kept on spreading, and the number of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. Now listen to what's happening. The apostles are calling a meeting. They're calling the congregation together. And there's a specific matter to be held. They want the church to elect deacons. So they call together the number. Those who have been identified as members of the church. And guess what the congregation does? The congregation elects a deacon. What is this, brothers and sisters? This is congregationalism. This is congregationalism. The apostles called together a full number. That's the church. They had a members meeting. There is a number to be collected. The church gathers. The church knows who that number is. They make a decision. But that number was identifiable. The number was not a guess. Like, let's just say uh, all you who are saved come to this meeting. There was a specific people who they were inviting to this meeting. It was specific. Baptism collects people into one collective. And they are together. They're united. Uh, in the same way that many of us who have taken a bus or a plane or a train or a boat... When we get on to those specific modes of transportation, what do you first hand them before you get on? A ticket. And what do they do? Can you hand them a piece of paper and say, here you go. It's specific, right? It's a ticket. And they scan your ticket to make sure that you're supposed to be on this trip. You're added to this number that are going to one place. 
you're united with them. In the same way, baptism, it's, if you will, a ticket that scans you into the body of Christ. And we are all heading in the same direction. That is glory. Baptism is a door to the church that collects a number of the church into the local body. Baptism is a a way of joining a group that stays together. Baptism is not like, hey, I've been baptized. Uh, Charlotte's Web. You remember Charlotte's Web? Charlotte, I I feel like we watched, me and you watched that movie for some reason a a million times, my sister and I. Do you remember Charlotte? She, she's, uh, in, in the beginning of the movie, she's, you know, doing well and making the web for, uh, what's his name? Wilbur. This is all just right off the top of my head right now. Sorry. What happens at the end of the movie? Uh, Wilbur wants to have a connection with Charlotte. And Charlotte has a number of babies and he thinks, I'm going to have a, a thousand friends, right? What do they start doing? Goodbye. Goodbye. It's the saddest part of the whole movie. It really is. Goodbye. They're just, goodbye. Baptism isn't like that. Baptism isn't the, the point where we get baptized and say to the church, goodbye. Goodbye. Baptism is the part where we are uh, united to a specific people, to a specific church, and say, I am now one of you. There is no more goodbyes. And you're stuck with me. You're, stu- you're stuck with me. Because the Bible commands us to uh, bear with one another. To put up with one another. The Bible commands us at least 60 other one another's that we are to, supposed to practice within this context. Not say, uh, I've been baptized, I'm good, goodbye. That's not the way it works. If you trust in Christ, if you have been uh, baptized, then join His church. Because it is the first step into the local church. We say, I believe inwardly. Therefore, I will express this outwardly through the, the waters of baptism. And, and baptism is a promise that all those who are united in Christ in his death and in his resurrection. Baptism is a promise that all those who are united to Christ in his death are also united to Christ in his resurrection. It's a blessed promise. Not only because uh, through it we are united to Christ, but through it we are also united to one another. To this visible body of the church. Now, listen to this. That's my first evidence for formal church membership. The command for formal church membership. Now, those of you who have been here before or have been a part of the church for a long time, you know we've taught church membership a whole bunch. Hopefully this is going to be a different take from what you already know. Number two, here's my second evidence. Christ has given elders to the church with authority to oversee. Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews 13 and verse 17. Now, I'm going to ask you, you don't need to raise your hand, okay? Do you love Christ? One of my sisters just looked at me like, that's a dumb question. Do you love Christ? Okay, I'm going to keep asking you that. Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them. 
for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. And listen to what the Bible also says. Let them do this with joy. Let them do this with joy and not with grief. For this, listen to what is, for this would not be profitable for you. You know, it's not going to do you any good if the elders of your church, we'll get to that in a minute, don't enjoy shepherding because of you. (laughs) There is a group of people that are commanded to obey their leaders. Listen to this. And the leaders have also been charged by Christ to keep watch over the souls of a specific people. Who are these people? It, it, the, the command comes, we, we've kind of read it just in the middle of the text. But in context, the writer is speaking to the church. It's not a random people that this command is, is going out to. Uh, we believe the writer of the Hebrews could be Paul or Barnabas. Is the writer of the Hebrews giving out a general command to everybody in all the world saying, all of you obey your leaders for they keep watch over your souls. Does the president keep watch over your soul? Does uh, children do your principles keep watch over your soul? No. We could go to. Uh, all sorts of different kinds of leaderships. But the point is that this people is a specific people. It is the church. It is the church. This command is for the church. Now, who are their leaders? Well, who are the leaders in the church? Elders and deacons. Specifically, elders of the church. This command then is for the church to obey its elders or overseers that have been given authority by Christ to shepherd their souls in the local church. Now, let's get even more specific. It's a twofold responsibility to this command. It's a command that has two sides to it. Elders are called to be what 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 are, are, are setting out as requirements. We are called to be all of those things, not perfectly but relentlessly. That is, I will not perfectly meet all the requirements that are set out for overseers. Neither will Pastor Isaiah or any other elders that the Lord calls to this church. But we will relentlessly strive toward that goal. This is who we are as overseers. But we are always seeking to be better. Right? Better in all aspects of the call. While acknowledging that we are men of clay feet, we will fail. We are called to lead. We are called to teach. What are the members called to do? To submit and to obey. Members are called to pray for their leaders. To not make their jobs difficult. To make their jobs easy. Uh, To be members, and I can point to a lot of you, that we can say, I wish I had more members like that. For more on this, you can go to our teachings on the role of pastors and the role of members in the local church, which was about... Uh, six or seven months ago. Pastors are called to lead and teach. Members are called to obey and submit. Now, this is important. The question is, if the person is not a recognizable member of the local church, how are the overseers supposed to know who they're supposed to shepherd? Does that make sense? If the person's not a member, 
how does the overseer know who he's supposed to shepherd? And if the person's not a member, how does the person know who is their overseer? You see the two sides to it? There's a, I shepherd you and you submit. But if you're not a member, I can't shepherd you and you can't submit. Do you love Christ? Do you want to obey his commands? Then become a member of a church so that you know who your overseers are and the overseers know who you are. The command to the people is not that they submit to their favorite podcast preacher. The command is not that they submit to the person that they admire the most or wish was their pastor. But that they submit to the pastor that is in their local church. And let me just say this off the cuff, not on my notes. It. It baffles my mind when an individual comes to a local church and says, I just can't submit to that pastor. Or I just can't receive from him. What are we teaching here in this church? This is the book of Antonio. It's the book of I. There's a book called Isaiah in here. Is this the. Let's do it this way. His name is David. Is this the book of David? This is the word of God. We spend very little time in this church giving our own ideas. Right. If it's God's word, then submit to God's word. We don't look at the local church like it is our local grocery market. I just don't like the prices there. You know, I think I'll go down the street. It's easier, more convenient. It's the local church. We must not treat it as a market. We must treat it with respect. We must honor God's word as God's word. Whoever is bringing it, it's God's word. No matter what style they have, it's God's word. No matter what kind of personality or what kind of charisma they may have, it's God's word. It does not matter. We want God's word. We are called to submit to the elders, overseers of our church, and obey them. And the overseers are called to shepherd your souls. And and the primary way that we do this, listen, is by what I'm doing right now. Each Lord's Day, morning and evening, and your elders work hard throughout the week or throughout the day to shepherd and to teach. But it's the primary way that we disciple on the Lord's Day through God's word. I heard... Somebody I recently ran into uh, going into a subway. He goes, Pastor Antonio. Hey, how you doing? Didn't know who he was. He, he says, hey, good to see you. Hey, man, what church are you going to? Oh, I go to such and such church. Well, how are you enjoying it there? I'm enjoying it. He calls me every day. He texts me every day. So he's your parole officer then. We are not your parole officers. My... Our primary responsibility is to deliver to you God's word. There will be times where we're texting, calling. Nothing wrong with that. But if the texting calling is why you go to a specific church, then you're putting that above the clear teaching from God's word. You don't go to a specific church because the pastor is your best friend. Because you have uh, immediate access to the pastor and you can call him, text him any time of night, and he'll be there for you. That's, that's a good thing. 
But that's not the primary reason why you join a local church. That makes sense. I say that as one who texts the guys, who calls the guys, who sees how you're doing. But don't rely on that. Don't let that be the reason why you're in a church. Right? Back on the notes. Ask yourself this. Jesus died to save a specific people. They are collected and organized through baptism. They have leaders, elders that they submit to. And those leaders are guarding, guiding their souls. There is a formal number that is being led by formal membership. Elders and deacons. Certain persons have certain elders. There's a definable number. And there's also an official number that are committed to the church. So you must ask yourself, if you place your faith in Christ, you've been baptized. Uh, where are your leaders? Who are they? If you say, I love Jesus, I've been baptized. Great. What church are you committed to and what elders are overseeing your soul? There are none. Then get on that. Then get on that. Why are we asking these questions and presenting these things this way? Because this is what the church was doing. When we read the book of Acts chapter 2, this is exactly what was happening. What, they committed themselves to the apostles' teachings. They submitted themselves to leadership. And this is the model, that the template that is set for the local church going forward. All the churches that would be, would be planted going forward followed this model. What are we doing? We are, with our second point, building a case for a defined formal church membership. Here's our third point. The church does not judge outsiders, but those within the church. You ever heard, we're not supposed to judge. Well, that seems to be contrary to what the scriptures teach. First Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 12. Uh, the point was, the church does not judge outsiders, but those within the church. First Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 12. First Corinthians chapter five and verse 12, the apostle Paul, for what do I have to do with judging outsiders? Do you not judge those who are within the church, but those who are outside God judges? And then he gives a command, remove the wicked man from among yourselves, judge him. Church, make a decision. Make a judgment on someone who is not repenting of sin. The church, they apparently took the, the teachings of the Apostle Paul a little bit too far. They disassociated themselves from any and everyone that was not a believer. And in doing so, they uh, crippled evangelism. And they judged a world that was, frankly, already judged by God. The world is already judged by God. It's our responsibility to warn them of impending judgment, to call them to repentance. That's God's judgment. They are outsiders. But you who are in the church, you are the insiders. And the church is called to make sure the church remains pure. If the church allows sin to continue in the church without calling individuals to repent of their sins, the Bible does say correct one another then we defame the name of christ we put shame on the bride the church people begin to look at the church and begin to call her a harlot 
for the sinners within it that do not repent of sin and the church's refusal to call them to repentance. Now, what does that sound like? Accountability. It sounds like the Bible is teaching accountability. That we are not accountable to those who are outside of the church. We are accountable to those who are inside of the church. Those who are outside, they will stand before God. And as will we. But we have been called collectively in the meantime to care for one another, to pray for one another, to warn one another, to correct one another, to admonish one another, so on and so forth. Why? Because we are accountable to one another. I'm accountable to you. You are accountable to me. Those who have been collected through baptism have been publicly marked as those who walk by faith in accordance to the commands of Christ. So when we walk outside of the commands of Christ, what should we do? We should quickly pull one another's coat, grab each other and say, what are you doing? You are not walking the way of Christ. You are not acting in accordance with your baptism. And we should love the individual who calls us on that. We should love the individual who warns us of our waywardness. We should love them, not be offended by them. We should love them. And here again, we have another piece of the puzzle. Who are your leaders? What is the church that you are accountable to? When you don't show up for church, who do you tell? When you will not be here on a Lord's Day, for whatever reason, who knows? Do you care to tell anybody? Because if we don't care to tell anybody, then we must ask ourselves, who am I really accountable to? And it is overseer's job to ask, how are you? Are you okay? Didn't see you today. But it's also, if we forget, your job to say, here's why I wasn't here today. Pray for me, and we will. Amen. Amen. Who have you submitted yourself to for examination? This is revealed as we obey the one another's of the scriptures. Who are you praying for, guys? Who are you correcting? Who's correcting you? Who are you encouraging? Who are you loving? Who are you teaching? Who are you accountable to? Many don't believe that it's necessary to be accountable to anyone. They can live their Christian lives detached from the body. And I've said this before. The Apostle Paul teaches that uh, foots and foots, feet and eyes and fingers... They don't function apart from the body. Uh, one of our brothers, uh, Richard Barcelo, said, if you ever saw a foot walking down the street by itself, you would say, foot, what are you doing? How did you get here all by yourself? If you ever seen a foot outside of this place apart from the body, it would be dead. It would not be functioning. So for those who say, I'm a part of the body of Christ, and yet you are not committed or connected to the body, no, you are not. I'm sorry. And if you are, then you are barely hanging on until you are surgically placed back, connected back with the body. We don't function by ourselves. We can't. It amazes me. It amazes me how many times or how many people can just not go to church for months and months and months and still call themselves believers. They fool no one but themselves. And you who know them, especially if you are related to them, do not hate them so much to not tell them the truth. 
Because you not telling them the truth is not love. That's hate. If you know that I am heading down a road with a dead end and its cliff is a thousand foot drop, you would warn me, I would hope. If you loved me, you would warn me. Those who attempt to function outside of the body are killing themselves and they are also fooling themselves. Let's go to the fourth and final point. Church membership is mandatory and it is voluntary. Listen to that apparent contradiction. Church membership is voluntary or mandatory and voluntary. The the church, it takes shape or is built upon the commands of Christ. Christ sends out his apostles to go with the message of the gospel. To make disciples of all who believe. In Acts, that's exactly what they do. The church takes shape upon what Christ has commanded. Therefore, what the church does is mandatory because they're acting in accordance with what Christ has commanded. Are the commands of Christ optional? You should do them. It is necessary that we follow Christ, what he has commanded for his church to do and be. He's established a model that we must continue to follow and promote. We don't get to do things the way we want to do things, right? All that we do is based upon his commands. Do you love Jesus? If you say that you love Jesus, if you've trusted in him, then you must also acknowledge that he has organized and arranged his church in a certain way. And we must understand that the way he has organized and arranged that church is the way that we must do it. And they are gifts to us. It's a gift to us. It is the body that he has ordained for our ongoing growth and life, service and accountability. It's a gift to us. Membership in the church is mandatory because it comes from the command of Jesus Christ. Now, the way the church took shape, the direction the church went in is all in accordance to what Christ has ordained. Membership is therefore mandatory. Now we say, how is it mandatory? There is no explicit command to join, to be a member of a church. No. But the first three points of this sermon are explicit. The first three points of this sermon, they are explicit. The commands must be obeyed. If we trust in Christ, be baptized, added to the number of believers. If we say we love Christ and trust in Christ, be submitted to elders and make their job easy. If we say that we trust in Christ, be accountable to a specific church, to uh, oversight of one of these churches. If we must do these things, then we must be members of a local church. That is to say, church membership is mandatory, defined, formal, and not optional. Are the first three points clear? Yes. What do they sum up to? What do they amount to? Formal church membership. We can show many other examples of how churches met in specific homes, in specific places, that the people in those homes were known and acknowledged by the Apostle Paul, that they were known and acknowledged as true confessors of the Lord Jesus Christ, that they gathered when the church gathered. Go back and listen to those sermons. The problem, though, 
it isn't the, the clarity of the Bible on the requirement of church membership. The problem is the willingness of so-called sheep to be shepherded. The problem is for the so-called sheep to acknowledge that, yes, I truly am one of the sheep. The problem is not the Bible. The problem is us. Amen. Why would we say in the beginning of this point that it's mandatory and also voluntary? That doesn't make any sense. Here's why it's voluntary. Because nobody can make you do it. Nobody can make you become a member of the church. You must obey this willingly. If you've been saved by Christ, one of the, the gifts of salvation is that you are now free to obey his word. You are no longer slaves to sin, but slaves to righteousness. And if you're a slave to righteousness, you see God's word and say, I love Christ. I want to obey it. Then be baptized. Then submit to your elders. Then become accountable to a church. Become a member of a church. Membership is mandatory, but it will not happen unless you obey. It's based upon a response to the word of God. We can't enforce this, right? Uh, uh, Membership cannot be legalized. We do not believe in a state church where if you don't go to church, you'll be uh, legally penalized. We don't believe in that. We don't believe in pedo-baptism where you are born into a Christian family and you are baptized against your will and against understanding simply because you're a child of a believing parent. Baptism or the church and membership must be voluntarily obeyed. You must become a member because you're obeying the word of Christ. It's voluntary and it's mandatory. This is the word of God. Uh, And this may at some points of the sermon cut in some of our our lives. Let me say to you lovingly and, and, and gently, my responsibility is to persuade your conscience with God's word. Not with my own ideas, but with God's word. Here is what God has commanded for his people. You obey it or not. It may come across on this side with a certain conviction. It's because I believe it. And I hope that you will obey it. But it's not me judging you. It's God's word judging you. If there is any discomfort, it's because there's something out of order. That's that's across the board. When your elders are preaching it and there's discomfort, it's because there's something out of order. And obedience leads to comfort. Because I'm obeying God's word. Discomfort leads to comfort when we obey God's command. This is all a part of allowing yourself to be shepherded. And if you're a member of Christ's church, exercise that membership. We're going to talk about this next week. Uh, exercising membership. Christ has called us to come and not be an audience. This is not showtime at the Apollo. Uh, to bring it a little bit closer to home, this is uh, I don't know, one of the local places here in town. It, it, this is not uh, the Fox Theater. This is the place where the saints gather for worship. This is the place where we do not simply walk in, sit down, walk out, But this is the place where we exercise our membership in this church. Are you a member of this particular local church? Then be active. This is not a theater. It's not a restaurant. It's not a place where we sit back, relax, and enjoy. 
It's a place where we come and actively obey all that Christ has given for his church to enjoy. If our membership is simply come, sit, go. Who really wants membership like that? Let our membership be active and we'll discuss more about that this next week. If you're a member of Christ Church, enjoy the membership. Membership should be a joy, not uh, not a burden. We come together Not with a bunch of games. Not with a bunch of of programs per se. But with the vital meat of God's word that gives us sustenance for our lives. The commands of Christ are not burdensome. They are a joy. Let us enjoy them. Many, and I said this earlier, many had, had thought that when we began to teach it that the Lord's Day is the new Christian Sabbath, that we were adding legalism. It's actually freedom. I don't have to do anything today except come and worship God. I don't have to do anything today except come and worship God. I get to enjoy the saints. I get to enjoy the word of God. I get to enjoy the Lord's Supper. I am not going to be put on a a schedule where at three o'clock I've got to go to so-and-so's house and I've got to go to so-and-so's house i got to make sure that that they're happy and I can't really say the gospel to them because they're uncomfortable with it. It's the Lord's Day. I want to be where the gospel is preached. That's where my true joy and, and peace is found. It's not legalism. It's freedom. It becomes legalism when we, when we, get to, when we start asking the questions, well, what can't I do? Here's what you can do. Obey the command of Christ to join when the saints gather for worship. All the other things that you do outside of that, that's on your own conscience. I have my own convictions. But when the doors are open for the saints to gather for worship, I'm going to be here. And nothing will stop that unless the Lord has returned. Brothers and sisters, I think that we've made uh, quite the case this evening. I'm skipping some stuff. I think we've made quite the case this evening for... What is a church? It is those who formally join the membership of the body of Christ, who formally join the number. And if you love Christ, obey his commands. Let's pray.